you that got me in the holiday mood yeah if that doesn't get you in the mood then i don't know what's happening here because you should be welcome to hair the werewolf i'm chase and i'm here with my co-host lily hello and we are a supernatural horror podcast where we tell each other scary stories that are allegedly true and often have a few drinks along the way and it is the christmas holiday episode so we are getting our nog on (laughs) something fierce we're definitely drinking eggnog like totally drinking over ice because it's fancy obviously kirkland brand refrigerated and over ice yeah eggnog delicious it's 14 percent so now the, ra- the the race is, are we going to feel something before we've had too much sugar that we want to die? I don't know, because I'm pretty sure I already have diabetes. <laughs> Just kidding. So, I don't, but, you know, I'm working my way there. You're definitely working on it. <laughs> Eggnog feels very festive to me, so yeah, get your nog on, guys. Heck yeah. Just before we get started, I want you guys to know, as a reminder, at the end of today's episode, we will be discussing our holiday movie, which this week is... Black Friday. Yes. No, Black Christmas. <laughs> I just did you. I just accepted it. <laughs> two like, different, yeah, two Black. different scary things. Black Christmas. <laughs> Actually, there was a movie that just came out called Black Friday with. Uh, that's right. It's we like didn't a get to see it yet. But zombie-ish. Yeah. So kind it is of. a horror film. But no, that's not what we watched. We watched no. Black Christmas. <laughs> so stick around at the end of the episode if you want to hear us talk about it. We do it as spoiler free as possible. So. There's that to look forward to. I'm super excited that it's the Christmas episode. Yeah, Uh, I know that, like, so obviously there's going to be a Christmas episode this Saturday, assuming we get it out on time. Big assumption. Big assumption. We're going to be really busy with Christmas, because we do Christmas with my family, Christmas Eve with her family, and we do Christmas Eve Eve as well. So we're doing, we have three days of stuff that are keeping us busy, so there's a good chance it might not even come out on Christmas. It might come out the day after Christmas, so we felt today should be the Christmas episode. Yeah, so today, just in case, and also it gives people time to like listen to it before it's actually Christmas, so that's basically a lot of reasons to do that. Also, um, my allergies are terrible today, so if I'm sniffly... There's nothing I can do about it. It's yeah. just how it is right now. <laughs> anyway. Um, Sorry with how late yeah. this episode is. Oh, also that. <laughs> Stuff has been super crazy in our life. We, you know, we're in the process of buying a house and then all negotiations like fell apart days before you're supposed to close it had a huge effect on us and so we're sorry but we were kind of dealing with our own stuff yeah it's it's a huge bummer we were supposed to literally close like in two days i think to be fair the whole house thing has been the reason we've had episodes coming out a day or two late and since we lost this one it might still be a continuing problem going forward but we hope not so anyway apologize about that but Better late than never. Exactly. So here we are, and I have a story for you. And this is a haunted place, and it's called the Snickleway Inn. The Snickleway Inn. That sounds like candy. Yeah, it does sound like candy, um, but it's definitely not. Yeah, it's like, do you want a candy cane and a Snickleway? <laughs> a Milky Way and a Snickleway. Does that sound at all familiar? Because it, I can see why it could. No, it doesn't okay. sound any. Not I mean, Snicky. There's Persnickety. Right. I, well, no, I got nothing with it. So this place is located in York, England. Oh, one of my all-time favorite places. Yes. Uh, York is one of England's oldest cities and is considered to be one of the most haunted. Has to be. It's so old. It's so old. Exactly. And Chase and I have been to York twice. and We lived there for a while. Yeah. And so the most recent time we were there was during the Christmas season. It was probably the most magical thing I've ever done. I would never have said that like Christmas is my favorite holiday, but this definitely got me a lot closer to liking it even more. Well, and for those of you that don't know, we didn't know it either. It blew our mind. Apparently, I always thought, you know, Christmas was kind of a super big deal here, you know, trying to kill all other holidays and everything be just about Christmas. <laughs> Compared to England, we are nothing. They like, they rock Christmas hard. hard. And you know what? In a really good way. It's the kind I like because their Christmas celebrations, everything's decorated, but they really push foods and beverages and snacks hardcore. So when you're going down these Christmas markets where they convert entire portions of the town to like this Christmas market, you're trying all kinds of weird, crazy food you never have. You're trying all kinds of crazy drinks, snacks, everything. It's They even have like a Thor tent or something. Oh, in, in York, they had, they had yeah. a place called, they called it Thor's Teepee, which was really right. funny because they picked like Norse and like, <laughs> you know, Native American stuff and put them together and it actually looked like none of them. Yeah. Um, and that's where we drank mold cider and mold wine. It's my first time having mold wine. 
As long as I don't smell it, I like it. Yeah, it, but it, it smelled terrible. Tastes a lot better than it smells. Yeah, so it's super crazy. They would go hardcore there. If you want, if you're a Christmas fanatic, you should put some big city in England on your Christmas bucket list, like London, Manchester, York. Those were all rated really highly. <laughs> like he totally snuck in Manchester in there because we love it. <laughs> well, it was listed higher as being a better Christmas market than York on a recent survey. Yeah, but I mean, I guess I would say like, oh, really? Yeah, we just weren't there for the Christmas market, so we didn't get to see it. Sorry, I totally just didn't even register when you said that. I, I guess I had no idea. Yeah. yeah, we missed their Christmas market, So, yeah. but it was listed as being even better, which blew my mind. Wow, that's super weird. Yeah. Anyway. But anyway, yeah, super Christmassy time. So that's where that is. Well, Snickleway Inn is currently a pub, but it's been many other things in the past, such as a brothel and a royalist powder magazine during the Civil War, which essentially like where you store arms and ammunition. Totally. So was it, is it currently Snickleway Inn or is that a previous name for whatever it is called now? It currently is now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Originally, it was constructed in the 1500s. It's three stories tall, and when you look at it from the front, it sort of looks like an upside-down three-tiered cake. So the bottom floor is smaller, and it progressively gets bigger. What part of town is this in? I think I know what building you're talking about, unless they have a lot of upside-down-looking so houses. So it's in, oh gosh, it's one of the gates. Like, it's not like Stonegate or... Is it Harrowgate? No, it's the, it starts with an M. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway... I didn't write that down. <laughs> I didn't think you would care. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. And this is a very common building style for its time. And when you walk down the street, it honestly feels like you're traveling back in time. Much of its construction is original or as original as possible, both inside and outside. And probably fixed that when they fix it, they were trying to maintain the look. So Oh, right. So it's... I guess the word would be restored, because even though it might not be original, it looks the way it should have been. And for those of you that might be having trouble imagining what that looks like, there's a lot of buildings throughout Europe that can be like that. It means that each subsequent floor above it is actually wider and deeper than it, so it actually will have like wooden pillars going to the ground. So it's kind of like a weird porch thing, but the top floor is bigger, and if there's a third even bigger. It's and so it's, weird. It's really weird looking, but when you see it, like it's hard to imagine, but the minute you see it, you're like, oh yeah, I've totally seen those in like old timey movies. Old Robin Hood movies yeah, or something. Exactly. Yeah. I guess yeah, for sure. I guess old timey should be reserved for eighteen hundreds. That's old timey for us. <laughs> for them it's like old grandpa y. <laughs> Does that make sense? Right. <laughs> old great great grandpa. Anyway, so where am I? Oh yeah. Snickleway has been a pub since the eighteenth century but has many different names in the past, which were like Square and Compass, Mason's Arms, The Board, Joiner's Arms, Angler's Arm, and then finally in 1994, it became Snickleway. Oh, so that's a new one. New so it's name. pretty new, yeah. Fun fact, the pub purposely misspelled Snickleway to avoid copyrights from Snickleway, York, which refers to an area of York that consists of small walkway pathways in a particular historic uh, section that's within the original Roman walls. <laughs> Who'd have thought that Snickleway would be such an important and, and sought-after name? I know, it's like, no, I'm Snickleway. <laughs> Don't <laughs> take my Snickleway away. I did not know it was that <laughs> cute of a name, but here we are. <laughs> I can imagine you like trying to find your like email address, you're like, Snickleway at Gmail taken, you're like, damn it! <laughs> oh my god, I'm actually gonna see if that's taken. <laughs> uh, the term Snickleway is actually made up of three terms. Snicket, Ginnel and alleyway, which is basically they all three mean the same thing, and they just kind of combined all those words. So it's alley, alley, alley. So it's alley, alley, alley. <laughs> alley, alley, oxen. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so the hauntings. I'm just gonna go right into it. Do it. There are quite a few known ghosts that haunt the Snickleway Inn, and I was actually excited to find out that some of them have a backstory, so we know why they're there. See, that's my favorite kind of ghost. Exactly. It's not just like, oh, yeah, there's this one out there that, like, makes you feel like you're sweaty. He's like, I make you feel sweaty because I like the way you look. And, like, my wife used to sweat a lot. And then she killed me in this, you in know, this, cellar. In this sweat fest. <laughs> and so now I make everyone else sweat because it gets me hot. What the fuck? Sorry, I just created a story. I have a narrative. You have many stories today, Chase. Yeah, it flows. All right, keep going. I would also say that, like, I don't think I've ever heard a ghost make someone sweaty. Like... Like, maybe so scared that they begin to sweat, but usually they have cold spots. That would be interesting. A sweaty ghost. Sorry, I'm, I'm probing new areas. I got the nog running through me. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I got nog on the brain. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting, interesting episode. Um, <laughs> so the first ghost I want to talk about is of a little girl. 
So one day, while the pub owner's young daughter was playing outside, she accidentally ran into the street just as the horse and cart that was delivering the beer that day pulled up. Unfortunately, there was very little time to react, and the horse trampled the child. Today on the first floor, often seen on the staircase, is the ghost of a young girl seen wandering that area. Patrons of the pub will notice a little girl sitting on the staircase staring back at them. The owner's cat would often play with someone invisible and weave and purr around an unseen figure on the staircase. So it's just uh, just an area she likes to hang out in. <laughs> I don't know why. And creep on patrons. Okay, so that's the first story. And the second one is in the actual bar area, there are two ghosts that hang out there. One is of an older gentleman that is often seen entering the pub through a wall, walk across the room, and then take a seat at the bar. As soon as a ghost is seen sitting down, the old man will vanish. Ghost hunting enthusiasts looked deeper into the history of the pub to see if they could figure out who the old man was. Well, they couldn't find anything definitive or any kind of definitive information of who that I mean, might be. How could they? Because I, I mean, mean, it's very what's difficult. His story? Right? It's like how it's like, there was only the one man who walked in and sat down. I think by description as well, but <laughs> it's very difficult to narrow it down. But what they did find out is in the original construction of the pub, there used to be an entry door in the exact spot where the old man enters from. Oh. Yeah. When it when this was shared to the owner, he had no idea of the original floor plan because he wouldn't have owned it, you know, obviously sure. way bef- after it would have been covered up. Absolutely. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So whoever it was, it's definitely an old ghost. It's an old ghost for sure. He came in through, like, the VIP entrance? Yeah. (laughs) He's, like, these suckers coming in from the back. Yeah, was there any notes of, like, that ghost having, like, rhinestones or, like, cool sunglasses? Because he he was, like, important. Yeah, he's wearing shorts and everything. (laughs) (laughs) He was so cool. Old tiny clothes. But they were, like, posh old tiny clothes. They were posh. They were definitely embroidered. (laughs) (laughs) They had his name on his underwear. (laughs) Uh, the second ghost that likes to hang out at the bar is a man described as wearing Elizabethan-era clothing. Okay. Have you ever heard of that word before? Elizabethan? Yeah. It predates Edwardian. Yes, it does. And I guess in my head, I don't know if I ever had actually seen it spelled, but it's literally Elizabeth, A-N, like yeah. Anne, like an A-N at the end. So in my head, I kept like saying Elizabethan. I'm like, what the fuck is this word? And then when I actually looked it up, I'm like, oh, I guess I've heard of it. I just, I'm saying it's stupid. Yeah. for I don't know where I've heard it all the time. But yeah, I've heard of like, when when I read history of like during the time of Queen Elizabeth, is everything there is called Elizabethan. Yeah. It, well, she was like the first. She's like, it's my way or the highway people. For it sure. totally sounds like how the British pronounce Ibiza. They go Ibiza. Ibiza. Do we say Ibiza? Like they do Elizabethan. it with, with, the, with like the lift. <laughs> yeah. It's just like that. Uh, so anyway, that's what he's wearing. And in case someone might not know what that would look like, just honestly think of William Shakespeare in his large, round, fancy collar, white, puffy neck thing, <laughs> uh, wearing puffy shorts and tights. And that's basically it. With See, like, when's that going to come back in I know, style? That, that needs to come back for sure. <laughs> at, Only... least with, at least with the youths, so oh. I can laugh at them. <laughs> I was going to say with humans, because dogs have, have it down. <laughs> Now, Mr. Shakespeare, yeah. <laughs> we did surgery on your leg. We don't want you to lick it. Yes, please stop. Um, yeah, so that's what it looks like. And I guess it felt, you know, I need to mention because if you see someone walk into a bar today wearing that, it's very uncommon. In fact, I don't know if it's ever happened. <laughs> but, <laughs> so when this ghost makes an appearance, they really make an impression. There doesn't seem to be any information on who this person was again, but it's probably, well, they're speculating that it could have been an owner or someone that has some sort of professional ties with the building because anyone who dressed that way back in the day would have been upper class because it was pretty... Well, and and since it's, like you said, Elizabethan era, that's before Mm -hmm. it was ever a pub. So this is probably when it was like a brothel or something. Or something. Oh, it's definitely something else at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and they also think this because usually it's seen by staff members because the apparition will show up super early in the morning or late at night when the bar is closing. And although patrons have claimed to have seen it, it's most likely to be a staff member 
to encounter this ghost. And let's be honest, half of the people who claim they saw it, they were probably just drunk and like, yeah, I saw. <laughs> that Elizabeth in one. <laughs> I saw that frou-frou neck person. <laughs> Me too. Me too, man. <laughs> I was going to start a fight, but he disappeared. <laughs> it's just Shakespeare. Okay. <laughs> it's just Shakespeare. <laughs> Oh, so this next one, I didn't get a whole lot of information, but it is Miss Tulliver and her cat, Seamus. Patrons of the pub will sometimes feel a cat brush against their leg, but when they look down, nothing is there. Miss mm. Tulliver was uh, the widow who ran the house. I guess they're just assuming it's her. Sure. Because people have seen her and maybe a picture are like, oh, yeah, that's her. And she's usually seen on the main floor because that's mostly where she would have spent her time working. Now, the next one is Marmaduke Buckle. Damn, this is a crowded pub of it's a, ghosts. It's got, like, I think, nine ghosts, at so least. So, if you are a, if for some reason a patron of this bar is listening, do everything you can not to die here, because it seems like this place really holds It'll on to you. It'll suck you in. And you're going to be hanging out with people of, like, a 500-year lineage. <laughs> you may not be that communicative with them. Yeah. It'll be really difficult to, or I don't know, maybe if, if they've gotten with it. And they're like, oh, I know the lingo now because they've been there listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, the next one, Marmaduke Buckle. I don't know about you, but as soon as I heard this, I immediately remembered that there was another ghost also called Marmaduke from episode 18. No, yeah, Marmaduke is not a common name. It's and not you common. Have, you have spoken to me of another <laughs> just once before that was our liverpool tour episode if you guys are curious i also recall not knowing why they were called uh marmaduke because i didn't know it was a fucking name i just <laughs> i thought it was just like a weird thing someone made up and called it anyway i didn't know what the coincidence was so i dug deeper and it turns out that marmaduke by definition is a masculine name of old irish origin meaning follower of saint madoc or madoc but also literally means a little fire. Way back in the day, it was just honestly a regular name that people had. Sure. This, of course, didn't satisfy my curiosity because once you start reading about one thing, down the rabbit hole you go. Cue one hour of my time. And I actually found out a few cool things, and I'm going to share it with you. In the year 558, St. Maddock was born, whose original name was Aid or ad, might be pronounced like aid, because the name Aiden is diminutive of ad, or aid. Anyway, fast forward to when he became a saint. He's known for some of his miracles. His miracles range in importance, but in my opinion, there's one that everyone should know about. One of the miracles recorded was while St. Madoc was fetching for more ale for himself and his fellow monks, the jug that he was carrying fell from his hands onto the ground and broke. Party foul. <clears throat> Party foul, indeed. Maybe he'd already had too many. I don't know. St. <laughs> Manic bent over the broken pieces and began to make the sign of the cross over the broken pieces. Miraculously, when he lifted the jug, it was now again in one complete piece. Witnesses say that he simply picked up the jug and continued to fill it with ale as though nothing had happened. And so that... he, like, blessed the jug <laughs> and brought it back? He's, yeah. like, yeah. he's like, forgive me, Father, bring back this beer? He's... Literally healed like the sick, but you know, every once in a while you gotta heal a jug for some <laughs> ale. So yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Waste not one. Not. Anyway, back to Marmaduke Buckle. This is kind of a sad story, so watch out. Marmaduke was born in sixteen ninety seven to a wealthy family. Unfortunately he was crippled. Now I don't know if he was born with a condition or this was developed later in life. But even though he came from money, his peers would often treat him less than human and would constantly torture him. Hmm. Marmaduke was so depressed about his situation that one day he retreated back to his room and hung himself from a beam. Today, people have claimed to see him looking out his bedroom window. There's a lot of other activity that occurs on the second floor, like doors opening and closing on their own and lights turning on and off, and everyone assumes it's Marmaduke. On the top floor of the Skullway Inn, people often get a strong smell of lavender. Oh, my least favorite smell ever. So now I'm like, well, maybe you never want to stay there. So you're telling me we have a poor guy who was tormented, commit suicide, and then it smells like lavender. And then it smells nice and sweet. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I want to visit this place. I know. Like, the more I tell you, I feel like you're just less interested. There were a lot of ghosts. I was like, man, I don't know if I need to see that many ghosts. I was like, you said lavender. I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) 
when this occurs, no one actually sees anyone around. And like there's no apparition, you just smell lavender. Now, if we go back in history, we know that lavender was commonly used to cover up the smell of rotting corpses during the Black Plague. Oh, yeah. My guess is that it's one of those residual hauntings, a moment in time that repeats itself. So luckily, you're not going to get haunted, but you're just going to smell Black Death plus lavender. That's horrifying. But I I can assume that they were using lavender to cover up any terrible smells, not I just think so the too. Black yeah, Death. they were using it like for everything. Yeah. Now, there is a ghost in the cellar. It's known for being unwelcoming and aggressive. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me get this straight. <laughs> of all the ghosts, the one that's angry is in the cellar. I know. It's super... I'm shocked. Super shocking. I know. The only way to get into the cellar is through a trap door located behind the bar. Sometimes on a normal day, servers would notice that the gas taps would be turned off, forcing staff to venture down into the basement to investigate. In case people don't know, the gas tap is what pumps the beer from the cellar up into the beer taps. Also, these gas taps are not easily turned on and off. It requires force, meaning someone had to have intentionally turned them on and off. Yeah, they're not going to just willy-nilly shut off. Yeah, it's not the wind, I don't think. (laughs) That's one hell of a wind. (laughs) Yeah. So staff members who've gone down into the cellar either to turn off the gas tab or restock the beer have had things thrown at them. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Sometimes it, it's rocks, sometimes it's tools. Apparently it's whatever is on hand because the ghost will just throw whatever. Man, I would quit right then and there. Like, I know. It's not just something falling down. If all of a sudden you just see like some tools flying across the room at you, but no one's down there, I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking out. <laughs> it's like, not only is there a ghost down here, but he fucking hates me. Yeah, he hates everything. I'm not, I'm not working here. Yeah. Of course, whenever they look around, no one's ever down there with them. So obviously it's coming out of nowhere. And like I said, there's only one entrance into the cellar, and that's through the bar. Sometimes staff have even seen a man sitting on top of a barrel. Not waiting to see who it is, they'll often run back into the bar and then <laughs> wait to see if someone comes out, thinking... And no one does. Yeah, like, so did someone go down there? Yeah, no one ever comes back up. They go back down with a friend, and they're like, nope, there's no one. I wonder if there's, like, a secret entrance, and there's, like, some punk oh who goes God. down there and drinks beer. I was about to say, because, like, I don't know... I know, like they said, there's only one entranceway that we know about, but this building is older than any of us could even keep exactly. straight records. You don't know if there might be a trap door somewhere. And if the guy could just sneak down there and find a way to, like, sift off some beer for himself, and then someone comes in, he just throws shit at him to scare yeah, him. Yeah, he just bought a crappy costume <laughs> on Amazon that looks, like, really old. And, it's like, and what are you going to do when you're drunk? You're going to throw stuff at people. <laughs> I think we've just got a industrious drunk person. Yeah, I think we have a very clever drunk here. I also kind of wonder if this is something that you would disclose to people that you're hiring. Because if you refuse to go down into the cellar, I mean, that's a pretty important part of the job, I think. You know, if you have to refill beer or or anything like that. I totally agree. But at the same point, uh, it is a small town. So I have this feeling that people who live there are very aware of the reputation when a place is haunted. So if you go there, you're just like... You either you kind of know it's haunted. Okay, yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, that I makes mean, sense. like if you're if you're in like a huge city like L.A. or New York, it might be very reasonable to assume that an establishment someone's not familiar with it. But a small place like this, especially if the building's been around forever and the pub's been open for almost thirty years, you're like, yeah, yeah. people have heard this place is haunted. Yeah, no, that makes that's a good point. I guess in my head, I was like, if no one told me it was haunted, I'd been like, I hate you all. <laughs> Screw you guys. So, anyway, I honestly could not find a whole lot of information about ghost hunters visiting the building. I wonder if it's not encouraged by the current owners. I'm not sure. However, I did find an article where a medium visited the pub, and when they went down into the cellar, they were overwhelmed by the spirit and described it as, quote, a creature of great age and intelligence surrounded by utter evil, end quote. So smart and hateful. All hateful. Yeah, completely. Which is like the worst combination ever. So Because <laughs> he here knows we go. how to hurt you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so it's kind of a short story, but that's my story. So as long as it doesn't smell like lavender, yes. I'm willing to go get a beer there next time we're in that region of the world. Yes, I, you know, I can totally go in there and have a drink. I don't have a problem. I tried looking at TripAdvisor and Google Reviews to see if I, you know, find anything personal experiences i didn't but yeah i thought it was a cool story so i thought i'd share it with you and i know it's not very christmasy perhaps in a broader sense but 
it definitely is to me because when we were there last, it it's was Christmas. A Christmas place. Yeah, and I loved it. Well, I think that works. Yay. And I also think we need more eggnog because my cup is empty and I'm running low on nog on the brain. Yeah. So we're going to get some <laughs> nog and we'll be right back. Okay, guys, so we're back, and as Chase would say, we got our nog on, and we are ready to go. Well, we filled up our nog because we are currently getting <laughs> our nog on. Oh, we have not finished. Yeah. I was <laughs> nogless, and now I'm nog full. All right, so this is super exciting to me because today I'm doing something very important to the show, and today I get to cover a cryptid, or at least part of a cryptid. Ooh. I'm not doing the whole cryptid. So I didn't even mean to cover cryptid either because it's kind of Lily's territory. I was researching other holiday-related horrors when I came across some fun information, and I just couldn't resist. Today, I'm going to talk about werewolves, but not all werewolves or even <laughs> general werewolf lore. That's something for another episode, and it's something that's probably going to take an entire episode. Oh, 100%. And that's 100% Lily's going to do that. Yeah. Because I want to listen to it, and I want her to research it because I want to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing something very specific with the cryptid. So, today, I'm going to talk about the connection between werewolves and Christmas. Ooh. It's a connection that is far stronger than I would have imagined. And I've heard of various cryptids that relate to the holidays, such as Krampus, which we covered last Christmas. Mm -hmm. But when you hear the word werewolf, you kind of picture a year-round cryptid. Their timing seems more focused on the lunar cycles. You know, full moons, not full moons. But it turns out they have a special affinity for the winter solstice. Ooh, I like that. And I didn't know. Before I get into it, I will do a super brief overview of werewolves because I believe most people listening to a horror podcast are familiar with werewolves. I mean, they're one of the big monsters, after all, up there with vampires, mummies, zombies, things like that. And yes, Kevin, mummies are real. <laughs> but just in case, I shall do a Cliff's Notes Cliff Note cover of them. Werewolves, also known as lycanthropes, are human shapeshifters that turn into an anthropomorphic man-wolf hybrid, most commonly against their will, whenever the moon is full. They are dangerous, they attack humans, and they have a profound weakness against silver, at least in many of the versions of the lore. There are countless variations of this trope, including people who can transform at will, even ones who are fully conscious and aware while they're in werewolf form. It goes on. I would like to mention, just for me, that my favorite superhero of all time, Moon Knight, exists solely because of werewolves. Oh my. <laughs> he was introduced in a comic book called Werewolf by Night, where the hero of the book was actually a villain because he was a werewolf. So he was introduced as an antagonist, which meant he was a villain in the comic, but a hero in real life. And he's my favorite, and his costume had silver all over it so he could fight. Anyway, I digress. You know, I, I would like to say that I am impressed that it took 60 episodes until you finally mentioned Moon Knight. I thought it would happen a lot sooner. I don't, I don't brag. Yeah. I only, this, this is the one time it's been super relevant. <laughs> so what do werewolves have to do with Christmas? As we mentioned in a previous episode, the holiday season, or more specifically the winter solstice, has a long and storied history of horror and fear. The days are short and the nights are long. Harvest is over, so historically the only food you have is what you have stocked up from the months prior. The weather is cold, often dangerously so, depending on where you are, and it's a period of isolation, darkness, and rationing. Traditionally, people don't go outside for frivolous tasks, often limiting them to only mandatory obligations. They spent far more time sitting indoors, often letting their minds run wild. Conjuring thoughts of evil and fear and other stuff that just pops in when you don't have anything to do, when you don't have, like, Nintendo or Sega. Yeah, of course. It is with this in mind that we can really begin to see why people might associate monsters and frightful folklore with these inhospitable months. So I'm going to share with you some of the beliefs from around the world about werewolves in the winter months. According to the World Encyclopedia of Christmas written by Gary Bowler, a story rooted in the Middle Ages from the regions of Latvia and Estonia claimed that a boy with, quote, lame legs, end quote, which I can assume is some sort of Physical like, handicap yeah, that he was dealing with. Not working well. He would roam the countryside during the Christmas season. The boy would allegedly gather up all of the evil people, people who allegedly followed the devil and brought them together. Attendance was mandatory, as those that refused would be tortured and beaten with a switch or similar weapon until they were compelled to come ah, and join. A switch. A common uh, Christmas <laughs> tool. <laughs> Old school. <laughs> 
Once gathered, they would all transform into werewolves. These evil creatures would become a plague to the region, killing and harming all those that came in their way and wreaking havoc on flocks of cattle and sheep. The werewolf transformation was claimed to last for 12 days. Dun, dun, dun. Which is a version of the 12 Days of Christmas I hadn't heard before and is kind of creepy. Allegedly, in Slovenia, the 12 Days of Christmas are commonly known as Wolf Days. Oh my god, that's awesome. Ah. So this kind of had the idea that all evil people and grotesque people around Christmas were forced to come together in kind of like a werewolf pack. So the idea that they're all combined and come together is going to be a recurring theme with Christmas. There's not so many lone wolves right. going into this. They tend to want to be in groups. No lone wolves here. Uh, sorry, that just reminded me because we just saw Blades of Glory and... Will Ferrell's character is a lone wolf. He's a lone and wolf. Then, and then he adds to his pack, and he's no longer a lone wolf. He's a lone wolf with a, with a pack? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So these particular legends tie into other local variations that suggested that Christmas time was the only time of year in which werewolves would suffer their curse. And it would free up the remainder of their year for being a human and such. So not ah. all of them say that, but apparently in that area... The idea was that werewolves were only around during Christmas. Very specific. That is not general uh, werewolf folklore, by the way. That seems to be specific to some of these regions. Olaus Magnus, a 15th century writer, traveler, and man of many skills, wrote tales of werewolf lore in his work, The History of the Northern Peoples. These stories were about the people from areas of former Prussia, Livonia, and current-day Lithuania. Their stories are not unlike those from Latvia and Estonia from further north that we just talked about, but it is believed that on the night of Christmas, werewolves would gather for unsavory activities. It was thought that any dwelling or home that was isolated from other people in the woods or the countryside or whatnot would be at risk. If werewolves happened upon one such domicile, they would attempt to break in through the front door. Mm. They would continually attack the door trying to get in. If the door held, then the wolves would continue on to find another home. But if the door broke down, however, the wolves would devour any living creature within. So, like the three little pigs. Exactly. So I don't know if this story was supposed to have some sort of moral message, but I could not help but read three Huff little pigs puff. into this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The wolves will keep going, so you got to make sure your door is tough. So I don't know if there's some, like moral message in this story maybe but, just lock your doors bitch like you yeah. know you never know but the three little pigs thing is apparent or maybe it's like people just didn't reinforce their doors they didn't think it was a big deal because they were off alone and they're like no you got to be safe you got to be safe are. no matter what for sure but maybe it was also to discourage against hermits and antisocial behavior because if your house is in the middle of nowhere they're like well you're at risk if you're not protected in like the city mm-hmm. so that could be it too Oh, that makes sense. Other variations of this suggested that the wolves would break into your home in an attempt to drink all of the beer and mead in the (gasps) cellar. How dare they? Instead of killing you. They're like, we're after all your booze. (laughs) Interestingly enough, the lore from these areas suggests that werewolves were a more common occurrence than you would see in versions of the lore from other regions. So the Mm -hmm. idea here is werewolves weren't that weird. The idea wasn't like super scary. It wasn't like you might run into one in your life and it's the worst thing ever. The idea is... Yeah, they're kind of everywhere. We just have to deal with them. Right. They're going to drink your beer. They're going to do this. Maybe it was almost kind of like a way of saying evil people are criminal. They're werewolves as opposed to anything else. The werewolves were often seen gathering together and often having, well, from these stories, parties. <laughs> of course. <laughs> they would drink in excess, eat animals, cattle, and everything in excess, and they would do other werewolfy type things, I guess. There are more than a few references to the werewolves gathering to play a game in which they would take turns trying to leap over the highest stone wall they could find. It is said that the wolves who failed to climb the fence or jump it would be gored and eaten by their brethren. Oh, God. So they just don't care what it is or what's happening. Anecdotally, this story was immortalized in a statue that is currently in Chicago, Illinois, but it definitely seems to be a humorous take on it where you see... Three werewolves standing against a wall awaiting their turn to jump. The image conjures up similarities to teenagers in high school waiting during a PE class. Because you see these three (laughs) wolves, they're kind of sitting there, they're late, like one foot's on the wall, they're leaning back, one is reading a book. It's like they're just waiting to like... To go. Just to do their thing. Yeah. I think it's pretty awesome. That's cute. So in this whole region, the idea is 
these were the the people who partied. Maybe it was their way of hating on party animals, like people who went out and I mean, like, don't go out party sure. over crazy. That's what the werewolves do. They're gonna drink all your beer. I mean, think about it. It just seems like this is their way of talking about like college kids. It's kind of like yeah, what are people who are like more conservative and they're like, you know, we should all be like at home with family. Of course, they're gonna demonize anyone who's out there partying with their friends and like don't let these people in your house. They're gonna steal all your booze. They're yeah. gonna go party. They're gonna get drunk. They're gonna crazy. They're gonna hurt each other. It's just bad. They, they even hurt them, themselves and each yeah. other. Yeah. They're, they're not kind. They're not. Yeah. Eric Olson's article, Weird Christmas, Werewolves of Yule, mentions that in Poland, it is believed that people born on Christmas Day would suffer the curse of the wolf. He suggests that the legend seems to shun people being born on Christmas Day as it is seen as a slight against God. He also suggests that variations of the story actually suggest it is not people born on Christmas Day, but those who were conceived on Christmas Day, which mm-hmm. makes sense considering the importance given to the Virgin Mary and the Immaculate Conception. So the idea was Christmas Day is a day of which not to get your play on. Okay, so it's supposed to be more pure because Jesus is pure, blah, blah, blah. Is so that- the idea is, yeah, if you get frisky, your kid will have... You know, the curse of the werewolf in him. So, like, don't do it on Christmas Day. Got it. That's God's day. Yeah. You hear that? Otherwise, your kid's going to be a cool werewolf, so don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) So, apparently, this was... uh, Olsen goes on to discuss how this folklore, this idea of uh, being born or conceived around Christmas Day is so evil. In the 1961 film, The Curse of the Werewolf, featuring Oliver Reed, I haven't seen it. But I guarantee I will soon. Apparently, it's a it's a good werewolf film that has to do with. Yeah, I've I've oh, well, I've, I've heard of it obviously, but I've never seen it either. So it's kind of a big thing, Christmas and the whole werewolf thing in there. Nice. Okay. But not all werewolf lore is limited to Eastern Europe either. During the 14th century in Normandy, a northern region of France, there was a belief in something known as verouge, verouage. I can't speak French. Wolf. <laughs> Which refers to a person who has been excommunicated from the church and is cursed to become a werewolf for a defined period of time. Sometimes this was believed to be the advent, which is the end of November till Christmas Eve, and others believed it was from Christmas until early February, something called Candlemas. Mm. The legends don't always specifically say it's someone who is excommunicated, though. Some were believed to be people who didn't attend a number of Easter or Christmas confessions. Either way, it was unchristian behavior that would often lead to a werewolf curse. I actually found an old scholarly article written about the lore from Normandy Online, but I couldn't get the full text because they always charge you a lot of money for that. I really wish I could have gotten the full text. I was able to read part of it. I was Mm -hmm. able to read the abstract in the first part of the article, but it does suggest that the ideas of vowrauvery, which is the French for werewolfery, (laughs) May have come from a need of the secular and ecclesiastical authorities to regulate young people. They complained about the, quote, youth, end quote, or youth. Youths. (laughs) Yeah, those youths. Those youths. And their need to gather in parties and engage in immoral behavior. These stories may have been started to help keep people following the paths of the church. And I, I I hope I can get the whole article to find it, but the idea is that these people who were straying from the church, not going to confession and whatnot, they, they were seen as destroying the culture. So they came up with this idea that if oh, you do right. this, you're going to become a werewolf and everything's going to be horrible. And it seemed it got prominent enough that we're hearing about it today. I mean, it worked you know, over 500 years later. Yeah. Regardless of the reasonings in Normandy, the idea of the werewolf curse went all the way to Scandinavia. Here, the curses weren't always permanent, though, and some versions of the story suggest that people could break free of the werewolf curse during the Christmas season, in some form or another. The problem is, according to one source I found that originated from Finland, if someone broke their werewolf curse, they would no longer turn into a werewolf, but they would be stuck with the tail of a wolf for the rest of their life. Ah, marked. For sure. So just remember to lock your doors this winter, or a werewolf may try to break into your house and drink all your beer. And I can't think of anything scarier than that. (laughs) So that's my story. Oh, I liked it. Werewolves and Christmas. Werewolves and Christmas. That was a really good one. I was not anticipating that link for some reason. I I don't know if I've ever heard that before. I'd never heard of it either. Yeah. So... And most of these stories I corroborated from like three different sources were all saying pretty much the same thing. So these seem to be well known. Yeah. Or everyone followed the same liar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, way. there's a really good chance that it's just like 
super old lore that hasn't been popularized and that's kind of how things go with us you know what I mean that's the only way we kind of hear things now like Krampus and and um and all those other mythical creatures it's because they just got popular absolutely yeah all right so that's my story that's the end of our new Christmas material but it is time to talk about another one of our Christmas horror movies for the month. Yeah, so if you guys aren't going to stick around for that, that's okay. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll catch you next week. Otherwise, thanks for sticking around, and we're going to talk about Black Christmas. So through December, we've been watching horror films that have either a winter or holiday theme, and unlike our October month, this is less intense, and we are usually only watching one, maybe two a week. Anyways, we try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible, and uh, we watched lots of movies this month, but most of them weren't horror films. We watched things like Jingle All the Way, Love Actually, Just Friends, the list goes on. We love Christmas movies. Yeah, they're pretty. there's some really good fun ones there, and obviously some of them were from our childhood, so they're just going to be repeats because of that reason. And I think one that I don't think we saw last year, but it was Batman... Returns. Yeah. Yeah, we missed that, which is, in my opinion, a Christmas movie. We absolutely are going to watch it this week. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it is kind of horror-y. It's got some Uh, pretty macabre stuff. I mean, penguins and creepy stuff. (laughs) Oh, yes. Those scary penguins. No, I meant like the man penguin. I don't mean normal penguins. (laughs) But yeah, so we love Christmas movies, and we also love Christmas horror films. So, like Lily said, the movie we watched this week is actually considered by many to be the single best Christmas horror film ever made. And that is... Black Christmas. Yep. And I'm very excited that we got to see it again this year. I mean, we actually just bought it on streaming, right? Yeah, so we had to buy the Blu-ray, and we bought the Blu-ray, and then now it's all in storage, so we now had to get the (laughs) streaming... Because it's really hard to find this one streaming on services. Well, see, that's that's what I was saying, because, like, it wasn't... Or, I don't know, maybe it was free this time. I can't remember, but it wasn't free for a long time, and... I was sick of it, and the only way to watch it was through a DVD, so we finally got it. I think it's free now, so you actually have a chance this year to watch it, which I highly recommend Absolutely. to do. So, to be specific, because if you start searching for it, you could run into issues. There are actually three versions of Black Christmas. We are talking about the original 1974 version. The 2006 and the 2019 one are remakes. Yeah, and we saw those as well. Yeah. And Wait, the... did you see the 2006 one? I think we both did. Um, I remember, I've seen it twice, so I I know. I absolutely remember the 2019 one. Yeah. So, they are remakes to varying degrees of closeness to the concept. I would also argue that both those versions are not very good, especially when comparing it to the In comparison to it, yeah. I feel like they're kind of weak in comparison, for sure. But, I don't know. I think a lot of people might like the 2006 one. It's just more of a teen scream than anything. They're more contemporary, So, for sure. well, I don't want to say contemporary because it's a very different vibe as well. Like, Absolutely. It, this is, like, the 2006 is a teen scream. So, if you find those pretty fun, just kind of like any slasher movie, I think you're going to have a good time. Oh, absolutely. So, this movie is based on an urban legend known as The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs, which itself is based on a real-world murder of Janet Kreisman in 1950. I was originally thinking about covering that story this week for the podcast, but Ooh. after I read it, it's way too true crime. Oh, I believe it. It's it's more true crime than anything else, and I don't think it's appropriate on here, and it covers some pretty heavy stuff that I think a lot of people listening to this podcast, they they're don't not listen, listen to podcasts to. for that reason. Right. So that might be something now, to look for elsewhere. I definitely know that a lot of our listeners love true crime, just like I do, but I also understand that we specifically made this a horror podcast paranormal ghosts, things that at least people can pretend don't exist so that way they don't drive themselves crazy. But once you start talking about murder and things that are happening in real life, that can be pretty traumatic. So Absolutely. if anyone's curious why we don't do true crime, that's basically it. This is a safe space. Totally. <laughs> so back to Black Christmas, yes. the plot follows a sorority house over the span of several days, nights particularly, during the height of the holiday season. The house is filled with girls of various moral foundations, most resembling what you would expect from a sorority house. Although not over the top like a teen slasher from the decades following would show, the girls in the sorority were drinkers and were unquestionably sexually active. At some point, a mentally deranged man sneaks into the house and hides in their attic. He then using a phone in the house, calls that same house, and then proceeds to blather disgusting and horrible things over the phone, as well as death threats. He then proceeds to start killing people in the house 
one, one by one. one. Yes. So Black Christmas is unique in that it is considered by many to be one of the first slasher films ever made, or we should at least clarify it as the first modern slasher, meaning it contains many of the tropes, themes, and visual styles of the genre that we see today. But honestly, when you're watching it, you're not like, oh, here's the cliches. I think it does things like uniquely enough, and I don't know. I really like it. But I agree. I don't think it feels quite like other slashers because some of the other ones, they do kind of glorify the kills, making it right. seem like, ooh, what exciting or bizarre or crazy way is this person going to die today? Yeah. Uh, in this movie, they are very brutal. They are very hard to watch. And they're very real. They're more realistic and you're not you're rooting for it. You know what I mean? No. Like in a slasher, you're like, oh, she's going to die. No, you're more and sick you're to your stomach. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's a little, yeah. It's very real. I would say, kind of to a point, that this movie, I mean, it was made before the other slashers, but if you were able to forget that point, it almost feels like this was made by someone who kind of disapproved of slashers in a sense that it almost feels like the movie was made from the point of view that the levels of morality that these people have walked away from is a problem, mm. that we're... There's a lot of judgment in this movie. Yeah, well, you definitely come across certain uh, characters... I mean, I don't want to, I don't know if this is supposed to be like what the message is supposed to be, but like a lot of men who tend to be disapproving of the sorority house and what they're doing. And so like the the police are kind of judgmental. The boyfriend, the father figure, and then the, I don't want to say matron, but the house mother. Yeah. She's like just as insane. So she's an alcoholic (laughs) and she's portrayed as being a very bad character, a bad person. And there's another character played by Margot Robbie, not Margot Robbie, uh, Margot Kidder. Yeah. <laughs> Why I say Robbie? Uh, Margot Kidder, who would eventually one day become Lois Lane in the Superman movies. She's also an alcoholic in this, and she is portrayed as being a very evil character. And so there's this idea I mean, of judgment. I mean, evil in the sense that, like, she's, she's basically an up-and-coming alcoholic. Like, she basically is, I think... Well, and she says one. mean things. She's kind of a bully to the other sorority girls. She's kind of a bully, but no one takes her seriously. I think it's only when she drinks. And so they're really demonizing drinking. I think it's a That's big true. thing. Because but- the other girls who are in there in the movie aren't drinking, and they seem to be the most rational and like Absolutely. taken seriously. So it's kind of one of those things. It's like the well-behaved ladies. Well, but it was also like when you saw like people drinking or... Or having sex or whatnot in more modern slashers. It was just seemed like, oh, haha, just teens being fun. In this one, it was never looked at as being, oh, look, they're having a good time. Yeah. It was never seen as fun. Yeah. And so it seemed pretty morose. And so I think that kind of changes the vibe of this movie. This is a very somber movie. It is it is quiet and it is very terrifying and it's a slow burn. Mm-hmm. And I also think it takes a significant amount of time to portray the mental illness of the killer who you never get to you never see the face of right and i think that's a huge part of the movie is because when you hear what he's saying through the phone i don't know if there's any other movie before that that ever really portrayed as gross and disgusting as it was you know really vulgar language very and perverse or in like you could tell they were talking they, he was they were alluding to things that happened to him maybe when he was a kid and it was pretty heavy stuff even by today's standards it's really heavy to hear. it was such i'm not gonna lie when i first saw the movie I was pretty disturbed by the phone calls that this person was making. Absolutely. And also uh, the voices they would use. Like, they could change their voice. Obviously, maybe they had different people do it to, like, have that kind of illusion that it was one person. But it was totally fucked up. And it was so amazing. And there are scenes in this movie that stick with me to this day. I remember those scenes. Oh, yeah. So what I can say definitely is I recommend this movie to everyone who hasn't seen it. It is... A phenomenal horror movie in general. It happens to take place during Christmas. We watch it during Christmas because that does seem to be a theme, but I would not describe it as a Christmassy movie. It doesn't bring forth all these Christmas fun feelings. It's definitely, like yeah, that. it's Christmas themed, but it's. I think it just happens to take place. It's during not Christmas. jolly. <laughs> yeah, it's not jolly. In <laughs> Nothing any way. about it from beginning to end is happy. So, but I lo- I love this movie, and I think a lot of people would honestly. It, since it is in the seventies, uh, just any movie from that time, it's going to go a little bit slower and be a little bit quieter. So, if that's something that bothers you, that might be a reason to avoid it. Check out a trailer on YouTube or whatnot. This movie did get released to incredibly poor critical reception. Most critics said this is too grotesque. This is awful. We shouldn't be seeing this. And it didn't do well in theaters because Mm -hmm. it didn't have a lot of people saying to see it. However, in the years since, not only has it developed massive cult following, 
but critics who have seen it in the years since, you know, after the horror genre became defined, and so it it was no longer, I'm seeing something gross when I want to watch a different kind of movie. Yeah. It has been reevaluated and is now considered by many horror critics as one of the greatest horror films ever made. Mm-hmm. And I put it up there. It's definitely I one agree, of the best ones completely. I've ever seen. And at the very least, if you're a Superman fan and you thought Margot Kidder was a blast, seeing her in this movie is a riot because she plays a 100% <laughs> different person in this. She's a total bitch. So I would totally give this movie four and a half howls out of five. Ooh, I can't really? give it because it ain't perfect. But I would say definitely one of my favorite horror films. I love to watch it every year. Damn. I'm going to give it a five out of five howls. I fucking love that movie. I'm going to watch it every every Christmas until the day I die. Interestingly enough, right after they made the 2000 remake... There was such a renewed interest in the original 1974 film that the director of the original one, Bob Clark, was working on a sequel to it, where they were talking about what happened since. However, while working on pre-production in 2007, he died in a car accident. (gasps) Yeah, he was hit by a DUI. Oh, fuck. So that ended all pre-production on the film. That stopped that in its tracks. Oh, That's really sad. That sucks. Really sad. That really sucks. So yeah, that's uh, that's Black Christmas, and uh, it's totally worth watching. And uh, I feel really bad that he died. I, yeah, I, I was like, what a way to end this episode. I think his but... son may have died in it too. I don't know. Oh but... my god, it's getting worse. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, that's all bad. It's terrible. That was our movie for the month. I highly recommend watching it. Uh, it's good, scary, fun, and we're gonna do one more movie to finish up the month, and that's probably the last time we talk about movies in this until. Uh, Halloween, unless we see something like special in theaters. And that movie, I guarantee you for next week, is going to be Christmas Horror Story. Woohoo! Yes. So that is, it is, don't judge it by the title, don't judge it by the poster, just watch it. I think it's free on multiple services right now. Just watch it. It's an anthology. Yeah. So it's multiple stories that are intertwined. You may not realize it at first, but they are intertwined. And some stories seem bizarre and some seem grounded. Trust me, it all comes together. And it is totally worth watching. It has humor. It has comedy. Oh, that's the same thing. It has humor. (laughs) It has humor. It has legit scares. It has some cheesiness. It also has just some outright badassery. It's just... It's a good blend. Yeah, I would I would recommend just going in it, have a beer, have fun with it, because it's kind of a... Great drinking movie. It's a great drinking movie. It, it goes all over the place. A lot of little stories, and yeah, it's and, great. And William Shatner's in it. Either that's a good thing or a bad thing. Don't judge <laughs> it for that. But he's drinking the whole movie, too, so just drink with him. And I think he drinks... I think he's drinking eggnog. eggnog. Yeah, yeah. I think he's making time. it a lot harder than we are, though. Oh, yeah. He's mixing. He's mixing. So, yeah. I guess that brings our episode to a close. Yay. Well, I'm glad you guys uh, stuck around to listen this long, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, if you guys have any comments, questions, or personal scary stories you want to share, drop us a line at hotwpodcast at gmail.com, or through any of our social media accounts. As always, we post episodes every weekend, or at least we do our best to try. We hope, whether or not you celebrate Christmas, we hope you guys have a good holiday season in whatever capacity that means to you guys and your families. I can promise you that this eggnog is doing me a world of good. (laughs) So you can bet I'm going to keep drinking it. And not everyone likes eggnog. And that's cool. But I'm pretty sure everyone has at least something that they drink that makes them feel like it's the holidays. Be it hot cocoa, hot toddy, anything with the word hot in it. (laughs) Totally makes sense. Right. Because what we drink isn't important. It's how it makes us feel. And sometimes we drink too much and it makes us feel bad. And if you drink too much this holiday season and you find yourself feeling rough... Don't worry, because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye. Oh wait, we're not doing that. We failed. Bye, guys. Happy holidays.